Welcome to the Classic Kicks Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Santor, and today I'm talking to Peter Jansen and Eric Fagerlin of Sneakers and Stuff. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Cool. So we're here today, the three of us live in sunny Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, and I wanted to start, basically, every time I look at my Instagram on Saturday morning, I see you guys have lines down the block at every one of your stores, um, which is great. So what is it that's going on right now in the sneaker world, and what is it about sneakers and stuff that seems like you know it's crazier than it's ever been? Well, um, I think it's, it's the overall phenomenon. Like, like the sneaker world is bigger now. Uh, basically there's more people there now so what used to be the triangle with sneaker heads on top of the triangle determine what trends are and then everybody else are followers now with the social media revolution everybody can be an expert all you have to do is follow three people on instagram and you get the message and why would you why would you settle for something in line when all communication is around the latest collaboration or, or, or the hottest stuff that's coming out? Uh, so I think it's, it's a little bit to a point right now where brands haven't really realized that the market is exploding. So they're undercutting the market by way too much, causing almost chaos you're making all these people numbers, the amounts of the highly sought after collaboration yeah exactly. so basically what they want to do is undercut the market right because they want to keep the demand uh, so they estimate the market being whatever let's say for an example 10,000 pairs globally just because they think that's the market 10,000 pairs they'll produce 5,000 pairs to create that hype but now it's the the market is so much bigger brands haven't really adjusted that yet we still meet brands that still thinks that no, we will only do this in thousand pairs globally. It's like, wow, that's that's gonna be chaos. Like, look at Kanye West's thing. Like, if you think if if there's chaos at Webster Hall for him potentially showing up, and that causes you know, it's it's true chaos. That's telling the world something that there's, there's that many people interested in this that wants his shoes. So. A production of 10,000 pairs, 15, 20 is not going to be enough. That's just going to cause trouble. Mm -hmm. And that's now it's led to a point where people, not only the true sneakerheads, whoever that is today, but the people that used to be sneakerheads 10 years ago, now it's everybody. Yeah. It's your latte moms. It's like everybody wants that shoe that they saw on Instagram. Yeah, how did it become so mainstream? Social media? I think so, yeah. I think, I think the world is now smaller you see everything you know old people like us i'm not gonna say complain but we reminisce about the good old days you used to come to new york or wherever you went and find stuff that you haven't seen now you have to stand in line for a couple of hours potentially a couple of nights like sleep outside a store to get stuff that you've seen but you can't get like if you walk into a store on a tuesday it's i mean just empty. Uh, Regular, like a, a an average uh, drop today, you know, if it's a popular shoe, we can't even drop it. We have to do a raffle. Like, it's uh, the demand is too high. So, whenever you see a line, that's uh, I mean, I guess it's a good thing, but it's uh, it's also, you know, it's a blessing and a curse because we're obviously online as well. And, and sneakerstuff.com is, you know, if you get a couple of hundred pairs divided by four stores. There's nothing left for the online business, which is a, a big part of our business. So, so it's a, it's good and bad, I guess. Yeah, it's it's a bit frustrating at times. Like it, you work towards the brands, and some of them are receptive to that fact and trying to change, but some are just not. They but it seems like now there's so many sneakers. Like the cycle used to be monthly. Now it's like a weekly cycle in sneakers. Yeah, it's I like, mean, look at uh, what happened back in. 95, 96, 97, those three years came out in like three months last year. Mm -hmm. Like, like yeah. every single basketball you ever saw, yeah. they're like, everything came out in like 10 new colors yeah. as well. Is right now the best time ever for sneakers or is it not? I mean, uh, because what you're saying, you can I've only you been in this game for 27 years, but <laughs> I'd say this is by far the best like time ever. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the interest for, for, for it is, is massive. We have people 
that never ever would contact us. They hit us up from, you know, oh, it's been a decade. You know those shoes coming out on Saturday? It's like, yeah. It's uh, a lot. I, I definitely think this is the best time um, because I think we just got tired of the retro thing. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden we're back on newness. We're yeah. back on new styles. That's where we came from. That's where we grew up. Like, it used to be quarterly new collections. Yeah. You looked forward to late summer, fall, whatever, like from Nike, the new stuff. They didn't do much retro shoes at the time 15 years ago yeah when you guys started i mean is this um like where did you see this going now like next is it sustainable is it you know people talk about it's going to burst but it's just people have been talking about it's going to burst for years it seems to be getting bigger and bigger right now i think the people say it's going to burst it's the one that they are they're not really adapting to the, to the new sort of setup mm-hmm. uh, you have to be prepared to maybe look for other brands you uh, especially in the U.S., it's been, you know, maybe one or two brands yeah. dominating the whole market. But uh, if you come to Europe, it's a it's more diversity, and I think I think it's a good thing. Balance is a good thing and keeps uh, the brands on 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 their you know on their toes. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. So in the long in the long term, I think it's a good thing that it's a. Uh, sort of a bit shaken up right now yeah well i mean i also you mentioned eric i mean I'm, i like to see the new performance stuff because me too it's like we're around the same age i i, I guess i mean that's 30 something <laughs> yeah 30 something <laughs> too old to play basketball in my case but um you know that's the stuff we grew up on the performance stuff was the um you know was the um, was the fashion stuff it's it's actually funny we, we had this conversation this morning with adidas where when we started working with Adidas in '99, uh, they wanted us to sign like a contract um, where we were to commit ourselves to only. We were only allowed to buy, I think, 15% was uh, allowed to be retro. Uh, mm-hmm. This was pre-originals, but mm-hmm. it was originals uh, products. No, it still said originals on the boxes, but the whole originals. Yeah, as a, as a division the, wasn't. The, yeah, the really department didn't yeah. exist. Mm-hmm. But they they didn't allow stores to buy. They didn't want to be looked upon as an, an retro brand or like relying on their history. They wanted to be the new trend. That they wanted to be function. So they forced all lures, including us, to have like all you need to be eighty five percent functional shoes like mm-hmm. new running shoes and stuff yeah uh and today it's, it's vice versa today you have a conversation with adidas and they are thinking like we we need to go back to the retro pillars with we maybe we're losing uh control over this nomad or nmd or an ultra boost thing and, and i'm still like, no no you're right back to where you should be now mm-hmm. like we're actually at a point where Pushing the future is here now yeah like, I think I, I think the market actually is now reacting. I think the market has always said the same thing, but nobody really paid attention. When when Nike dropped Roshi Run a couple of years ago, it was sort of like a mistake. It wasn't meant to be a lifestyle shoe on that level. It was meant to be a cheap shoe for your finish line or footlock or whatever. It was meant to be like your seventy dollars shoe. Yeah. And all of a sudden, kids picked it up as the new thing because they were dying to see something new. From Nike, not just more versions of Air Force and Air Max, but nobody really realized that was the sign of the market saying, that, "Hey, we want newness." And then Adidas did the flux, mm-hmm. and we were hesitant. Now you should let's stick to the originals. It should be uh, keep it but totally worked. And then they did the tubular. We were hesitant. Like, no, I don't think that's going to work. The market just ate it up yeah. as a whole, and all that news like so. Now with the with the NMDs and Ultra Boost, that's actually you know step three. They've been doing this for a couple of years now, and actually now they are the only brand out there that's reacting to to those signals by the market, in my opinion. But yeah, it's weird. It's it's weird to to. Uh, I mean, uh, as much as I uh, you know, I'm, I'm a sneaker lover. Period. I love anything good, mm-hmm. and right now it's it's. Uh, I think it's great to see that. Uh, Addis is actually on top of things, which is you know me coming from from the whole Run DMC background and you're saying from, from the kids they're they're on yeah, top I of mean, their own stuff or the demand yeah, from I mean, the they kids. Are, they are I think they're better than ever. Yeah, and they are you know they have their you know uh, they have their hardcore uh, old school terrace like casuals like, like, like the, the, the 
guys like Gary Aston who yeah. who who is producing his uh, like special collection, which is like true to to the heritage of Adidas. And then you have these guys like um, the designers like Nick Galway that they're all pushing things forward and. And I think I guess it started with him being part of that Y three uh, department with with the cow sign and everything, and you know us traveling around the world, seeing trade shows, going to New York, going to Paris, to London. A couple of years ago, it was all it was all Nike, like on every fashion head, like Nike and Jordans, maybe mm. Louis Vuitton. Yeah. Uh, but now, if you come to New York in a fashion week, it's like it's weird. It's like you see everything from Rick Owen stuff to 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 Adidas GC to Pharrell to Stan Smith superstars, uh, and now you know obviously the the whole boost thing. And it's uh, I think it's interesting and and uh, and fun times. Well, do you think? I mean, one thing I noticed about Adidas where Nike's been you know strictly um, endorsing athletes. I mean, Adidas has taken the opposite route with the entertainers and the artists, and obviously Kanye. I mean, do you think, does it seem like, uh, the entertainers almost more influential than the athletes right now when it comes to sneakers? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, if you go way back, uh, I mean, Nike, Nike actually did artist stuff back in the days, even though they never made it admitted. I mean, they had the Elton John shoe. Mm-hmm. It was pretty early. Mm-hmm. They were uh, supporting the whole studio 5040 square with the, uh, with those shoes and they, they made some stuff for the sort of entertainment but um, I guess uh, Adidas realized that alright there's a lot of business in in people people's uh, you know they're they're more impressed by a a crazy rapper than a, a, a really good performer uh, on the other hand you have Steph Curry mm-hmm. who is uh, I guess uh, Do you see any influence of him in Europe at all? He's coming, but mm-hmm. but you know, I can tell. But we we quite often here in the U.S. We sort of uh, yeah on a regular basis, yeah. and I see kids passing all these like massive displays of uh, Adidas and Nike and Jordan stuff, and they go straight to this little corner of Under Armour yeah. and ask for Steph Curry's shoe, yeah. which to me is unheard of. Maybe uh, back in the days when N one was popular, but yeah, uh, no, be, they, before I mean, that within was, the basketball community, definitely influenced. By Steph Curry, but from a lifestyle perspective, you don't really see Steph Curry shoes on the street anywhere. Um, basically, it's that's that's a pure function shoe. Yeah. In in my head, but, but I mean, it, it might trickle down. You never know what they're gonna do. No. But yeah. but it's, well, you're uh, also getting young kids now into a brand that they. Um, you know, like like I'm a little bit too old to grow up on Under Armour, but you have all these kids now that, you know, you read these articles that kids want to be Steph Curry now. They yeah. don't want to be LeBron James. And 9, 10, 11-year-old kids are now growing up with Under Armour. Mm-hmm. You know, so they'll have a different perspective of it for sure. Um, so I wanted to ask you guys about a little bit about the expansion, right? You vote. How many stores do you have right now? Four. Three. Four. Four. <laughs> two in Sweden, Four. one in Paris, one in London. Yes. Yeah. So and we've sort of count the online store as an online as a store as well. Okay. So, yes. But, but well, well, you guys start. I'll come back to the question yeah, I just yeah. asked. But you guys started online when you started the store in 1999. Uh, uh, no, actually, uh, the the idea was to be online. Um, that was the whole thing from the beginning to be just online. But then neither me or Peter has any programming skills. Mm-hmm. We don't know how to build a website. Mm-hmm. So we found this space. <laughs> And we knew how to build a store, so uh-huh. the store actually opened before the website. Okay. We, we hired, we had to hire a couple of friends to work out the website part for us, mm-hmm. and that took longer time mm-hmm. building the store. So yeah, but we've we've been online since '99. Which so what was it back then? I mean, because this was really pre the idea of sneaker boutique. I mean, you guys predated it by two, three years in '99, and it's coming out of Sweden. You know, so what was it? I mean, you guys were young, right, in your twenties. What was it? How did what was it that that had you start this store back then? And I what mean, was the store? What were you trying to accomplish? What I was mean, the we store? saw the we saw the gap between sports and fashion, mm-hmm. and us coming from you know a sporting goods background, we weren't skaters. We, we Eric is an old basketball player. He still is. Uh, I I used I'm to be an uh, old basketball. Player. Yeah, still an old basketball. <laughs> uh, I used to be uh, skinnier and faster and a football player or soccer player. So we we came from from that. You know, sporting goods backgrounds, knowing the products. You know, from you know when they first released. You know, back in I started back in '89, mm-hmm. so a lot of stuff that I see now is like, yeah, I remember launching them, and relaunching them, and re-relaunching them. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's uh, I think what what is uh, 
I think um, you have to remember the mindset from the brands at that time too. It was pure function. They didn't make shoes for the street. They did, but they never talked about it really. Uh, and we just wanted to uh, sell all these sports shoes from an aesthetic point of view rather than the functional point of view. We didn't care if it was a running shoe or training shoe. If it looked good, mm-hmm. it looked good, people would wear it. And and where did, we, where we did that come from, though, yeah. if everybody else was doing the other thing? It came I, from here. So. Yeah, we traveled a lot. I mean, I, I remember I traveled the first time to the U.S. when I was 19. It was back in 91. I got this, uh, you know, if I if I wasn't sort of Americanized before, I was super stoked. I went to uh, to be to returned to the Nike HQ, I went to the first ever Nike Town, which was a small thing in, in Portland where they had, you know, the Bo Jackson uh, statue, they have a Michael Jordan statue, they had a whole room full of posters, like old Nike ads, like like you post all the time. Mm-hmm. Those, you can actually buy them. There was like a store inside of oh, wow. uh, the first Nike Town. And this is in 91 a, when you first traveled there, yeah, through uh, work. Yeah, the, through work to mm-hmm. the sporting goods store that I worked for. And um, yeah, I learned quite a lot and got uh, super brainwashed. Uh, and uh, I loved it. I mean, ever since I had to come back every now and then to the US. So it's, uh, yeah. I don't know if I want to live here, but but <laughs> it's like I love I love being here. Well, you guys, it seems like you visit ten times a year. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it definitely came from here. We 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 used to go here and we saw all these people on the streets wearing shoes that just looked good, um, and we figured that okay. These are actually good-looking and comfortable shoes. Why wouldn't people want to do that everywhere? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that that was the whole thing. Like coming, you also have to remember that the brands then was distributed by possibly agents or, or distribution uh, in Scandinavia, and they didn't take that much of a risk. So they settled for black or white shoes. They, mm-hmm. That was the whole thing. And you know, this is the area where where Scotty Pippen had the all red uh, flights or, or Jordan had all like all these colorful shoes and but in Sweden we only had the black or the white one mm-hmm. so we wanted we just pushing it like can we do something can we have add color somewhere yeah I remember uh, I mean we had this terrible uh, couple of years with Jordan didn't work in Sweden so like the Jordan 10 was a total disaster uh, the 8 didn't work that good 9 didn't work so what Nike Sweden decided was to not release the 11 because it was such a bad shoe. Really? Like the Jordan, like the three <laughs> it, years it of badness. <laughs> so, so the 11 never, ever came out in Sweden. So, uh-huh. so I remember I, went, I, bought the, I bought the low cuts with the, with the snakeskin up in, uh, in Canada, actually, uh, at Sham Sports, mm-hmm. uh, the white and gray. And I wore those and people, people were, I, I was, that was the first time I actually saw people snap in their necks, you know, walking <laughs> in Sweden. So, yeah. Well, how yeah. did you get into Jordan's being in Sweden? Like, what was the influence? I mean, was it through hip-hop? Or? But, yeah, I mean, uh, obviously, speaking for myself, it was through hip-hop, but this guy, he's, uh, he's a hardcore basketball player. He was used to uh, I mean, The whole Jordan the thing in the 90s was a global thing. Mm-hmm. And if you played basketball in the 90s, you, you sort of idolized Jordan. At some point, and basketball in Sweden is not a huge sport, uh, especially not in media. So whatever information you're trying to get, you would have to get it from here. Mm-hmm. So you ordered, uh, you know, videotapes or or magazines and everything. And then you got all the ads in those. Like watching a game, you'll get the ads and yeah. you get all the, everything. So the whole message. That was sent here. You got it. If you were into basketball, you got it in, in Sweden as well. So what were the first Jordans that you got into that you had to have? Uh, f- to me, it was the five. Uh, Same here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, what, 91 or something? 90? 1990. And, um, and then I was 14. So prior to that, it was I was too young to get mm-hmm. that expensive shoe. <laughs> and what was it about the five? Was it the design of it or was, there, was it the commercials, a combination of everything? I think it was a combination. And I also think that, to me personally, it was like I just hit that age where it was justified for me to buy a shoe of that price. Mm-hmm. Before that, it was just blunt no. It was also sort of the first shoe that sort of made it in Sweden. We had the, you know, looking back, I know that the only one was sold in Sweden. But to my memory, I can't remember that the two or the three or the fours were actually 
Um, so they were still in Sweden at all. So the five was sort of okay. the first Jordan, and they were hyping them up as you know people getting killed or robbed for it, like yeah, like those sports. sports yeah. yeah, yeah. So and then the year after when the inverted sixes came out, Nike went all in and they had these massive billboards like all over. So we still get questions from from kids like coming in like old guys now mm-hmm. asking for the first Jordans, which mm-hmm. is in their head like the Jordan six. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I remember those Jordan six. <laughs> like, yeah, I remember those. Like they're not the first Jordan six. So yeah, so it's I think the Jordan six was the one that made it like big in over in Europe and especially in Sweden. Mm-hmm. So when you guys you were saying most of the stuff in Sweden when you opened the store was black and white. How did you get the shoes? Were you importing them from around the world, or were you? Working gra- directly with the companies, telling them what they should be bringing out. When we when we first started out, uh, I mean, if you go pre pre sneakers and stuff, we Eric and I went. Uh, we we worked together in a sporting goods store. Mm-hmm. We travel uh, quite a lot whenever we had time. When Eric didn't order stuff from East Bay, uh, the catalog, not the online store. They would ship it to Sweden. Yeah, East of Bay? course. Oh wow! Yeah, they would. Uh, and then uh, we realized they were Foot Locker, so that wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I think that I mean we we used to go here basically we came here uh, on sneaker safari <laughs> like just New York yeah New well, York. you know it's funny because even when I was talking to Gary on the last podcast there, there's so many people where it's like these trips to New York is where I actually met Gary yesterday and we talked about the area around Times Square like back then you didn't want to go there yeah it was like Hooker Street and like all, everything bad yeah. Now it's like Disneyland, yeah, so yeah, it's, exactly. it's yeah, changed yeah. a lot. Yeah, uh, and we we uh, uh, we went quite a lot to Harlem, quite a lot to uh, to Abbey Square Mall, to to Fulton Street on Brooklyn. And uh, how'd you find out about these places? Then? I mean, we're we. Uh, I mean, I guess the internet. We we, we vacuum cleaned Manhattan basically, uh-huh. up and down every avenue, every street. We ended up buying stuff from guys at corner like like mom and pop stores all the way up in Spanish Harlem down to Midtown where you had this Chinese guy around the 31st or something. He was yeah. like, you know, he, that's the first time he saw shoes plastic wrapped in I a plastic. I think I know this shop here. Yeah, and, and they, we, we, had, we, we bought stuff. I remember we bought like like NYC uh, Jordans, sorry, uh, uh, Air Force One, the, the, the Knicks colorway with the Jules swoosh. We bought them for $14.99. Nobody wanted them here, yeah. like GS sizes. Yeah. Brought it back home to Sweden, sold it for 150. Wow. So what else were you looking for then? At the Air Maxes, the Terry uh, Humaras? Uh personally we, we bought everything. We, we were I remember you and me were <laughs> uh, we were at the first day of the Air Max TN, the the plus, the Air Max Plus. Uh-huh. You and I we went to Foot Locker Union Square, who's not there anymore. And they they just got in a batch and you know, you saw back then when something was popular, it was so popular. Like everybody wore them. They, it's not like now when they go buy and they go to flight club and resell them. Mm-hmm. Back then, people b- bought them and they put them on. Yeah, yeah. You'd leave the box at the store. You yeah. wouldn't even take it with no, you. Yeah. No. So we did the same. We were like we were wearing those uh, Spider Man esque yeah, yeah. type yeah. of shoes, like super high tech. So how much stuff were you sending home? Like how many pairs of shoes would you would you get each trip? It's you learn how to pack a bag very efficient <laughs> after a while. <laughs> and go and how to get through customs. And, and how they look very innocent. Good thing I'm blonde and blue eyed. Like they would never assume I'm doing anything bad anyway. They you have a basketball team? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have the biggest you think you, and also you thought you had the biggest bag, but there's always somebody up yeah. with a bigger bag in yeah. so. so then how did this translate once you brought it back to the shop? I mean I'm, it was probably a hardcore you know, small. I mean, it wasn't like it is now. It's probably a hardcore. I think. I mean, when, when if you go back to where we used to, when we started going on those trips, that's actually what sort of started sneakers and stuff and the idea for it, because uh, word got around that me and Peter were going to New York, and then people, friends and friends to friends and just random people came into the store that where we worked before sneakers and stuff, and just hey, I hear you're going to New York. Can you buy me a pair of sneakers? So I well, sure. What do you want? Doesn't matter. Whatever is not available here, mm-hmm. and that's sort of that's telling you something. That okay. So there, there's actually people searching us up, and, and we got to be 
quite a few people. So we asked them, like, is it cool if we charge you like 20 bucks or something? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of shoes. And everybody was very cool with that. Yeah. And that, you know, that funded the trip yeah. or the hotel or whatever. So. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. the same yeah. stuff you're talking about is like all the stuff that, uh, you know, with Classic Kicks. It's like so many parallels between the stories. Yeah. yeah we had, uh, I remember uh, there was always, uh, you know, a couple of guys that wanted something. I mean, obviously people knew. Mm-hmm. So it was like, yeah, we want the latest or Pippin or whatever. And uh, if it was something that we couldn't find, you know, you know, nice price, we always picked them up at full price, but we had we went to Jersey because mm-hmm. that was tax-free. No tax, so We yeah. just saved like 8% yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, then we, you know, we did it that, or we went to, uh, back in the days, one of my favorites, like fishing spots was City Sports because mm-hmm. they had a, uh, there was like a line on the, on the shoe wall so if you picked anything, regular price, you could pick something below this line for twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. So we bought so many good shoes down there, like random sizes, yeah, uh, yeah. weird shoes, but like, oh, often like the last pair they had for twenty dollars, yeah. brought them back home. So. Well, it's funny because at that time too. Now it seems like it's all the same stuff all over the world. But at that time, I remember I was getting the Japanese magazines also, yeah. and it was like, well, where? What is this stuff? Yeah. So I mean, how long of, of doing that hooking up your friends was it before you said, all right, we're gonna. We're gonna years, do I'd do say. a store. Yeah, I think I think we started going to here together in '97 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was about a year, and then in '98 we decided to do the store. Um, yeah, we signed a, the, the partnership in '98 on the flight to to New York, actually. Yeah. Oh, wow. So we went a couple of times to stock up for the mm-hmm. opening, and just uh, looking for stuff that wasn't available at home so i mean you guys have probably had i mean you definitely have had a lot to do with even this whole sneaker culture and all the shoes that are coming out what was it like working with the companies then and trying to explain to them as compared to now it seems like i mean so much has evolved it's like ridiculous i mean we, we had our sales reps back then there, there were no first of all there were no cool guy sections mm-hmm. departments and stores <laughs> or at, at brands so the, the guy that sold rubber boots you know, he was also selling tents, and he was the guy that came to us and sold, you know, uh, air trainers. Or mm-hmm. so it was. Uh, we had to. Uh, we could pick from the whole Nike catalog, the whole Adidas catalog, and you know, build our own uh, assortment. Mm-hmm. So sort of approved by us. Mm-hmm. Now, the biggest difference is they have the sportswear at Nike. They have the Nike Lab. They have the original section or statement or consortium or what they've yeah. already decided what's cool or what's limited yeah yeah back then we could pick and choose from all the you know whatever we wanted yeah. so it's well a, that probably it's gave an advantage difference. in some ways then even though it wasn't so big was that you pick stuff that most people wouldn't even recognize as being cool at that time at that time yeah sure so i mean more recently tell me about the expansion right when did you guys when did you decide to go into i mean two totally different markets right like first london and then paris i mean I think when our ambition, like Stockholm is not a huge city mm-hmm. um, overall, so we figured that we need to be, I'm not going to say more commercial, but we need to have a wider selection in order to attract more people, but in order to survive, basically. Mm-hmm. So we're, we never meant to be your cool guy store with only 25 styles on the wall, and that's supposed to be the coolest shit. We had you know, 500, 600 styles in the store at any given time, and now it's uh, even more. Wow. So the ambition was always there, and the ambition to grow was always there. But the vision at that time, you're sort of limited to what you think that you can do, and you're limited to what you know that you can do. Uh, so it took us a good few years before we actually realized that expanding within Sweden or within Scandinavia, it's not going to be what we really want to do. If in that case, you need to broaden the selection even further and be even more mass market. Mm-hmm. That's not really what we were into. We we always love pushing things forward and, and, and love this, the sneakers. So like five years ago or, or six years ago, we sort of felt that we came to a point where we were done what we could between me and Peter. Uh, and we sort of felt like, okay, so we need to bring some more energy to to this in order to actually become what we want to be. But that was at a time when it seemed like a lot of stores were closing. You guys were, were expanding, no? Was this 09? Yeah, 09. Yeah. I mean, we celebrated 10 years in 09. Uh, it was a huge milestone. And 
leading up to that was all the collaborations that started off as a handshake and a quick conversation and sort of like a fa- I, somebody did you a favor or whatever was never thought through there was never a schedule or release plan or communication or like there was nothing like that it was just oh you like shoes do you want to you want to make your own shoe mm-hmm. it's like yeah <laughs> Dream come and true. then yeah, yeah. and then leading up to to when we're celebrating 10 years we went to all the brands and said hey we want to make a shoe with you to celebrate our 10 years in the industry it was a big thing for us and that sort of was also the starting point and we we mm-hmm. started to gain a lot of international attention mm-hmm. uh, due to that yeah. uh, if 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 they didn't know about us before uh obviously we had some successful collabs before that but it was i think the 10 years anniversary and we dropped stuff every month and, and people started to talk about yeah. us so well, i mean london and paris are both great sneaker cities but what was it that you thought was lacking or that they're, you could they're add huge cities and we felt like uh if you should do this outside of sweden should do the closest and the biggest city. Uh, it's London. There's a lot of Swedes living there, by the way. Mm-hmm. So I think the idea too is like the bigger the city, the bigger the subculture. Mm-hmm. Um, not only by percentage-wise, but it's it's just gonna be more room to be a little bit more specific in in a big city. Mm-hmm. Look, uh, at, look at it from brand's perspective. It's a it's also a, let's say it's a handful of cities in the world that's focused cities. Yeah. Uh, and if you're not in that focus city, you won't get that focus product. Yeah. So so we wanted to be part of the to play with the big boys sort mm-hmm. of. Yeah. So we were uh, we we brought two partner two new partners aboard um, on board um, four years ago I think. And when they came in, uh, obviously when they come if you come into a company you wanna you don't wanna just be flat you want you want it to grow and. We sat down and talked about, so how should we expand? What should we do? And they, first they said, oh, let's do Scandinavia. But we all sort of agreed on that. If we are to do Scandinavia, then you have to lower yourself to a wider audience mm-hmm. in order to succe- mm-hmm. uh, to su- be successful. Um, but the other way around was more intriguing, I think, for everybody. Uh, all right, let's go to all the big cities then. This so, was your suggestion to them? We, I think yeah, I think it was uh, our suggestion, discussion. but they they jumped on it immediately. Mm-hmm. They were very like we were fortunate to find two partners that actually understood and also had a background in doing things before uh, on an international level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think they ever saw coming in. I don't think they in their head was like, yeah, let's do the world. They thought let's expand, let's have thirty doors. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, like the the closer we get to work with each other i think the the better the result as well so yeah london was first stop it's like but we set out like we want to be top of mind globally we want to be a global partner to the brands that we work with so the expansion isn't stopping no (laughs) hip-hop don't stop So I've had a few, I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I've heard, I've had a few people, uh, actually just this morning on the ferry, I saw a guy that's kind of in the industry and I said, let's meet up with you guys. And he even mentioned a New York store on the, uh, on the ferry. No, that would be a dream. <laughs> that's it. That's it. No. Right. Uh, we actually, I mean, we, obviously there's not, it's not a lie that we want to be global. Mm-hmm. And obviously New York would be our, you know, this, the most important sneaker city in the world, possibly. Uh, and if you look at New York now, if you compare it to even five years ago or ten years ago, there was so many more stores. There was so many more, like you can find sneakers, good sneakers, everywhere basically. So we definitely at some point want to do New York. We we tried uh, last year, but um, sort of got sidetracked by the bigger brands um, because they they bought the whole block uh, just around the corner from where we wanted to open uh, yeah you <laughs> so. know new york is tricky when we first opened classic kicks it was like new york was the first place you'd want to do it but then as time went on it almost became the last place because it got to a point where it seemed like we were competing with our own vendors you yeah. know yeah. and a lot of stuff you know especially you on elizabeth street yeah yeah well we yeah the <laughs> nike yeah right a block away you yeah. know and then you start getting less and less stuff and it was like okay you know but then i think things died out for a while but it seems like it definitely picked back i think up. The, i think the brand like it, they all they i mean the brands they want to grow right so they are doing what they think is best at at all at any given time uh and at some point they felt like 
direct to the consumer would be the thing, which is probably a good idea for them on on a wider level. But they can't sit on their throne and tell everybody that they're the coolest shit because nobody would believe them in yeah. the long run. And you, yeah, if you look at if you look at Nike that. now, being with Twenty One Mercer, and I think they made a mistake where they actually took out all the other businesses that they need to validate them as cool. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, they couldn't afford to be there anymore. They had to go because they didn't get the releases. Or every, all the releases came through Mercer Street. Yeah. And yeah. then you add recession to that. It was just too much for a lot of people. So, I mean, I, I, I definitely think there's room for us here. Mm -hmm. But again, a few people from New York are very protective and nervous. So... We don't you're have saying time. you're getting this personally from shop owners or the brands are telling you this never never personally no mm -hmm. people are always very friendly and nice yeah but it's protective but like you're saying i mean you only get a certain amount of the highly limited stuff everybody's going to be able to sell that sure but my my point uh my point of view on that is that i think the most independent stores are actually thinking the same we come from the same background and we work sort of the same mm -hmm. and i think we have everything to gain to go like come together and work together towards and almost you know or rather work together against footlockers and, and jd sports and that type of mm -hmm. things that actually are very eager to kill a trend or you know flood the market too soon yeah. and, and if all independents could work together i think that could be a powerful tool um, so yeah. i mean i guess you had that a little bit with the adidas some of the adidas projects you guys worked on yeah we, we, we tried to uh one thing we did was uh that was a couple of years ago now uh, we did a it was a A Life Pata and uh, Ricky and the guys from uh, Limited Edition Barcelona, mm -hmm. and we we got it on. We did like a four pack mm -hmm. or five shoes, I think, yeah. like five franchise shoes from for Adidas. Uh, I mean, the starting point was the Aesthetics, where where Adidas actually brought a lot of independent stores for throughout the world to Herzo and just sit for two or three days, work together on on different projects. You just got to know. A lot of people there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, some of them I consider very good friends after that trip. So it's a, yeah. it was a, I think a, that was the blueprint to, mm -hmm. to all like retailer uh, partners after that, yeah. like partnerships. Well, let's talk. A, let's talk a little bit more about the collab since we're kind of talking about it now. You said you've done over eighty collaborations. I think so. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. When was the first one? Oh three. Yeah, oh three. We did a, a Puma. Puma suede were actually a Puma basket because it was in, in hemp. Mm -hmm. uh, we made them in the 136 pairs, each individually numbered. Mm -hmm. uh, it was funny. We, that was 136 was the address at the time we had on, on the street where mm -hmm. we had our first store. Uh, we went to Vegas. Uh, there was this, what was it called? Vac vacant? It was like a, a, a pop-up thing, like a store, a guy who had a store inside the a suite mm -hmm. and he had uh all these like hype products this was like before blogs mm -hmm. uh, and he had like 10 pairs of our shoe mm -hmm. without numbers yeah and we were like all right something's wrong here because <laughs> we knew exactly who every person single person that bought the shoe was yeah and he has 10 pairs without any number yeah, on. he had to get them right from the company so, yeah so turned out whenever there's a special shoe made they always made some extra pairs. And we, yeah, pro, so-called promo pairs. Yeah, we learned that. That yeah. was the first time. I was like, yeah. if you say 136. So, yeah. yeah. After but that, we know that sometimes it's... Uh, yeah. But that was, I mean, that's pretty early. That was right at the beginning of the collabs, um, you know, when they were happening. I mean, you guys recognized early. Did, did you have to convince the companies? Did they come to you to say, let's do these? Or were you trying to convince them to do your own, your own thing? At the beginning, we came to them. We, we asked them harass them basically I mean, it was unheard of to make a, a project together yeah. i mean you had with that many pairs too yeah. right? <laughs> and they were like yeah you know uh ten thousand pairs for special makeup <laughs> uh, all right uh can we do 100 yeah. but now <laughs> so, you might be now you might be hoping for ten thousand pairs not really yeah <laughs> if if if, uh, if they send me ten thousand pairs jesus that's uh no but i obviously it's uh it's uh, sometimes you have to be careful with the numbers, but yeah. uh, and that's pre-social media. I mean, and yeah. probably pre-marketing dollars also. You had to promote yeah, the shoes I mean, by yourself at that yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, I most think the first shoe, most of them we sold just through the store, through people that came into the store. Mm -hmm. 
people always came to the store looking for something different. And that particular shoe, they we knew that they haven't seen it anywhere else because we were at least in Stockholm the only one that had them. Yeah. So it was a good sales pitch to have. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it was different. Like, 03 was definitely pre, it was almost pre-internet, right? So... <laughs> Those were definitely good old days in that sense. But today it's just different. Today trends are global. Um, trends are more alike uh, in like big city trends or small city trends. It's the, all the big cities have the same trends today. Like whatever you see here in New York, yeah. it's, it's the same that you see in London or Paris or Tokyo. Like it's the same shoes. Oh. So it's yeah. it's definitely it it's changed. Uh, but I think that thrill. You can find that thrill somewhere else now. You find it by, you know, queuing up for that shoe. Like the kids that queues up for that shoe, uh, they know what they want. Not the same th- way that we used to work, walk around and just find stuff that we have never seen before. Well, it used to be where'd you get those? Like yeah. that, no one asked that question anymore. No, <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> I remember when. Uh, but even then, <laughs> even w- even when they open, it's like we went to Fulton Street, bought shoes came back to Manhattan people go where'd you get those <laughs> yeah it's two subway stops that way like uh, 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 I remember me and Martin one of our first employees he he and I went to uh, to uh, like a I don't know the name of the store but it was like a one of those sneaker doors up at the 125th street and uh, Josh Wisdom did this pretty crazy 574 for New Balance mm-hmm. you know the white and black with like yeah yeah it yeah. looked pretty crazy yeah yeah and there were two for 89 at old footlockers all over Manhattan, mm-hmm. including the one on 125th. Uh, and Martin was wearing those. I was wearing my 101 Peter New Balance shoes that was with my name on. It was like one pair in the world. And the guy, uh, <laughs> the guy at the, the store was like, looked at Martin's shoes and like, where do you get those? <laughs> I was like, we never get shit like that up, up here. I was like, all right, there's a footlocker across the street. They have it, two for 89. <laughs> That was fun. Oh, it's funny. I know there's like a sense of discovery then that we don't have now. Um, but I just I want to talk about you know with the eighty collabs. I want to I want to ask a couple questions in regard to the collabs because I know listeners want to know a little bit about the process. So um, I kind of want to know what makes a good collab or how you guys approach it and know what's a good collab um, and the process from start to finish. The the process is different, a little bit different depending on the brand uh, and depending on if it's a collaboration or and SMU, uh, SMU is uh, technically more creatively uh, channeled through the brands, even though they work differently with us, where we actually make all the designs, but the whole process is different. Uh, but a proper collaboration, today's everything is very planned, and brands basically come to us and, and ask to work together. Do they present a specific shoe? Sometimes they say they want to give juice. Sometimes to it's like, like yeah. this is a focus for us. You need to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need you to. We need your support here. And like, it's it's a collaboration. It's a big, well. Yeah, it's a big honor. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, there are shoes that you don't really, un- like you don't feel like with the Flux, Adidas Cedex Flux. We didn't really believe in that shoe. We didn't want to buy it uh, because we only saw cats and we didn't understand it. It's like why, uh, why yeah, is this shoe? Too. Yeah, and then uh, we're talking about collaborations and SMUs, and they offered, yeah, you can do uh, on the short timeline, you can do this shoe if you want. To. What do you want to do on that shoe? It was like, okay, it's better than not doing anything. Plus, they said it's going to be a focus product for them. Yeah, and we've we learned over the years that if someone says it's a focus product, that means money. Yeah, that yeah, means marketing. They're gonna, yeah, they will tell. Yeah, the story. they will help us tell the story. So, but I think in like what makes a good collaboration is. Um, the looks is is the biggest thing. Like it has to look good in the end. Uh, but then you have to add some sort of dimension in terms of storytelling, or you name it, or whatever. Like all these stories, and that is tricky because occasionally you come up with a story, and the story is actually better than the shoe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you make all these things around it. You have a lot of fun, and then it bumps. It's just like don't work, and you had high hopes for it. Mm-hmm. And you get good coverage, and you get everybody picks it up, and everybody like everybody talks about it, but nobody buys it. Mm-hmm. Like so, yeah, sure, we had some surprises over the years. 
Uh, yeah, well, uh, on the other hand, we had some super hits that we were like, oh, they're all gone. We should have bought 10,000 pairs. Yeah. I mean, are all the collabs now, is everything flying, everything that comes in? I mean, both uh, your collabs and other brands? I mean, brands? So, some of them are, are definitely not flying out. It's, uh, it's, I mean, if we knew uh, what we knew this year, like last year, we mm -hmm. maybe should have done certain things. And But uh, also, I think you have to look at it differently, too. Uh, a couple of years ago, you wanted the collaboration to be sold out instantly. It should be gone in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, but now it's actually... You, you sure it's fun to have that line outside the store and that that high demand it creates some sort of like uh, headlines and you get that attention that's that's good but you also want to keep some of the product in your store because if you're only selling the releases then your store is actually only good for a couple of hours on friday and saturday mm -hmm. what, what what are you supposed to do on the wednesday yeah. when people that comes in on wednesday that didn't have time to come in like they they all they see is the shit that doesn't sell <laughs> yeah so. yeah it seems like it's like that more than ever now that it's like uh or maybe it's just me being brainwashed by sneaker blogs that everything comes and goes so quick I think it's a little bit both but it's interesting you walk into adidas uh regional stores or their their flagship store or whatever like or any other store their hottest shit in the regions right now is nmds mm -hmm. you can't find it anywhere like you yeah. see it on the streets yeah. but you don't see it on the walls you, you can't buy it so people seeing it on the streets yeah that didn't really catch the first wave it'd be like so how does it work? And yeah, yeah, it's, like, yeah. No, I mean, you even for me, tomorrow. Like. Yeah, yeah, even for me, it's been in a while. It's like certain shoes. I'm like, I don't even think about. It. I'm like, well, how am I possible? I'm not going to stand in line. Or no, I'm not. Exactly. I don't need to pay triple on eBay right now. I'm talking about that. I, I can't even wear Yeezys because if I wear Yeezys, people think that I took from the allocation that. Like people get mad if I wear Jesus. Well, Dude. you get you took from the customers. Dude, but that happened to me. Fuck, I've been in this industry forever. Like I've done nothing else. I I I probably deserve a pair of Jesus. Yeah, I had this, but I can't wear them. I just, I, just I had the same them. thing when we had the Nike ones at the shop, the black ones, right? Yeah. Like I never. First of all, those are all people that you never see any other time. A couple customers were asking about them, and I'm like, all right, look, I put like one or two the first time. The second time. I guess we had 16 pairs, wherever the hell they give you, 24 pairs. It was like so little that you're like, thanks for it. But you're really, like you were saying, you're almost giving me a freaking headache with this stupid shoe, with the mm -hmm. phone ringing, whatever. So anyway, I kept one pair because I was like, I'm going to keep one pair. So I, whatever there was, uh, 16 pairs, we had 15. The 16th guy in the line started screaming at me. You're supposed to have 16 pairs. And I said, well, who? I never told you I had 16 pairs. I don't know you. You never asked me. That every store got 16 pairs. You're supposed to have 16. And the guy was flipping out outside like he would. And that's first, I, I can totally relate to that frustration, too. It's, I, I understand it. But it just, it's just weird, too. Like yeah. I, I started this together with Peter because we love sneakers. And now... We can't wear the sneakers that yeah. is the hottest shit. And half these guys, they're only complaining because they want to resell them and make money themselves off it. Meanwhile, awesome, you have to sell it for retail, right? And these yeah. guys are making $1,000 a pair. Yeah. Crazy. I yeah. never sell shoes. I just hoard. Collect. Yeah. <laughs> well, how many do you have now? And where the hell Not are you that many. Not that, yeah, not that many I, to him. I've said 500 pairs <laughs> since the 80s, <laughs> 90s. <laughs> I say 500 pairs. No. I don't know. I actually... I quote Seinfeld on that one. <laughs> what, uh, I don't know the quote. Yeah, he got, he got this uh, question. How much money do you have? And he said, let's put it this way. Uh, <laughs> I bet you know exactly how much money you have. I have no clue how much money I have. <laughs> That's a good quote. <laughs> That's a good way to live. What a, huh, I got to go back to the collabs again. I just yeah. want to know a little more about the process. Um, are you guys the one that are doing most of the collabs? Do you guys have a team? Is it is it more collaborative within the... It uh, used to be... The two of us, mm -hmm. but now we have a creative guy who's uh, very important to us, mm -hmm. Johan. We're, we're still the creative team, but mm -hmm. Johan is a big part of, of uh, that whole thing, the mm -hmm. process. And he's he's the filter to, if if any of us three has an idea, he's the guy that makes it happen. Mm -hmm. I think also, like, when we're growing as a company, I think a lot of people, we have to bring in more people and more ideas from the outside. Eventually, it's like... There's so much to do now, and and we are offered to do more collaboration than we have time to actually, you know, do drawings of, uh, which is a good place to be in, of mm -hmm. course. Uh, but I think we need to uh, grow as a company as well. But right at this right now, it's me, Peter, and John, uh, basically. And the process is usually it's like twelve. It's a twelve-month process. Mm -hmm. You talk about with the brands and say, okay, so these are the shoes we want you to work on, or we ask, oh, can we do this? Depending on the brand, 
maybe you see a shoe that you really really love and mm -hmm. you ask can we please work on this and you try to sit down come up with an idea a conceptual idea on what you should do because just just starting drawing from nothing is kind of tough like where do you start you have the story in your head at that point too or the story comes later um it it varies sometimes yeah. we have a very clear vision of what it should be because the shoe actually you look at it and the shoe tells you what you should do with mm -hmm. that shoe but occasionally it's just like i have no idea what to do let's go out let's let's, let's get drunk for yeah. the weekend and then <laughs> come back monday and see if something <laughs> happens and uh, and sometimes i'm usually it's like everything i suppose like the best ideas come to you when you're not focused on getting that yeah, great yeah, idea. Yeah, really the so Johan's got a few phone calls Friday night late. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Sorry, sorry Johan. And those have been successes, the late night drunk phone calls? Uh, it, it's uh, <laughs> usually... Check back on uh, Monday. Yeah. Ends up with something good. <laughs> good thing Johan doesn't drink, so he can always sort of... Oh, he can interpret it <laughs> yeah. for you and filter it. Yeah. Now, so that that's the process. We You hammer out some sort of uh, conceptual idea and then you bring it to life in a CAD um, where you sort of tell what goes where and how to how to do it and you submit it and you wait for the sample or you get wait for the feedback and see what's possible and not um, I mean where it's different even with different shoes it used to be retros forever so you sort of you got tired of it, so let's work with plush suede and, and rich leather and like and your yeah, yeah, yeah. you're doing the same shoe. How do you reinvent like, that? Yeah, but we did that last week. Can we like <laughs> can we, we do we, something else? Yeah. We uh, uh lately I mean a couple of the products we did was took like one old school and one new school. Yeah. Like the the consortium tea time with the guidance ninety three and a ultra boost <laughs> turned out to be a huge success. <laughs> then we did a a product with Puma which was their latest running shoe called Ignite, yeah. which is a super slept-on shoe, if you ask me. It's extremely comfortable and it looks good. And we did a blaze of glory to that, which is more of a you know no-brainer. Mm -hmm. but, but the Puma Ignite is uh, people that think the Ultra Boost is comfortable. When they try on the Ignite, they're like, "Whoa, it's even more comfortable." Yeah, maybe not as stable, but it's it's super soft. Yeah, I mean, I think it seems tough for people. It seems like the the Rihanna Puma stuff is doing well right now. Yeah, Puma's but on a roll. I think they have a, a. We saw the Spring Summer Seventeen collection yeah. last week, and I think it looks better than ever. But these kids will buy into that. Like, there's so many options. It's like, how the hell do they decide where to put their money every weekend? Yeah, uh, th I I think you. Right now, we're experiencing some like it's a shift. Um, a lot of brands is nervous and worried and saying, "Hey, so if we do too much of these collaborations and hype releases, uh, how do you get people to buy the inline stuff?" Mm -hmm. You like so. Can so what you do you think about what? Yeah, listen to yourselves. What are you saying? All the people want to buy the hype stuff, uh -huh. and you want them to buy the inline stuff. <laughs> so do make the inline stuff the hype stuff or vice like yeah. make more hype stuff. you you don't need to do the inline stuff don't do the shoes that people don't want yeah, yeah. do more of the shoes that people do want yeah that's the <laughs> seems pretty the simple or start yeah. communicating the stuff that is not hype yeah. yeah what did you think would happen you made this hype shoe all you did was talk about that hype shoe do you think everybody would run to the store and buy the shoes that you never talked yeah. about yeah you gotta look at a whole nother customer base to sell that stuff yeah, yeah. They have like millions exactly. followers on social media yeah. And then to make yeah. 4,000 pairs, whatever. Yeah. We have to have a raffle, and we have 25,000 people signing up for a raffle. It's just, like, mind-blowing. Wasn't well, there another Yeezy coming out next week or something? Uh, yeah. Saturday. They don't need more help. It's going to sell out anyway. <laughs> yeah. They're gone. Yeah, that's crazy. We're all getting 16 pairs. I mean, do you think Nike? I was thinking about it. Yeah, 16 pairs. I was thinking Maybe about 15. it the other day, and I was going to write a blog post, but I didn't just because I got a little lazy. But I mean, do you think? You know, I have to ask everybody about Kanye, right? Because uh, it's just yeah. a big thing in how he shut down New York. Uh, I actually. <laughs> I didn't even uh, ask a question. Yeah, is he crazy or is he not uh, crazy? No, no, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I'm not I'm a, I'm a big defender of Kanye because I've met him in Virgil. Many years ago, they uh -huh. came to the store. Uh -huh. They hung out for like an hour or two, yeah. talking about shoes and yeah, design. Yeah. He was he was a Nike guy back then, but he bought a pair of Zedek Zed ADV Kazukis uh -huh. from the Obayo collection. So he was yeah, he yeah. was a sneaker nerd. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I totally respect him. And whatever he says in media, 
I think it's just a genius move. You know? Yeah, you, yeah. You want to act crazy. Yeah. But I think both Virgil and Kanye, they're, they're super smart and they are, uh, there's a reason why they're, they make this uh, happen. But what was your question? Yeah. No, I was just... <laughs> but I'm always defending Kanye. So no, no, I was that. just thinking, you know, I was thinking about, because everybody always talks about Nike letting Jordan go to Adidas. You know, I'm thinking now, is that an equivalent of just, not even for shoe number wise, but just, you know, me personally, I don't, like, I'm not against the guy, but I don't necessarily would think, I, I'm not necessarily influenced by his fashion as far as what I'm buying. But do you think it was a mistake for Adidas just, or for Nike to even just let him go to Adidas just to give well, him... Well, did they let him go? Did he have a, like well, a sure. contract or anything? I don't... I have no idea what, what happened, but all I know is someone at Adidas did a good thing. Yeah. And I think Nike should have uh, paid him up or whatever. I, I, I don't know the whole story, but... I don't yeah. know. I, I think it's tough to foresee. Was it a mistake in retrospect? Possibly. I don't know. Uh, but it's also possible the market would eventually grow tired of Nike anyway and just flip to Adidas because of something else. Do like you see that else. happening right now? Does it? Do, I mean, I know Adidas is on the rise, but does it seem like there's a little dip in the Nike stuff? I think Nike, Nike, they're big boys. They can probably handle <laughs> it and, and they will probably bounce back. But I think they actually just now realized and we've been like we've been trying to tell them for a couple of years that, hey, something is happening. You're missing the boat here. Like. But, you know, controllers control, <laughs> and they yeah, don't see they it. A, they have a big, big ship yeah. to yeah. steer, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident they'll, they'll bounce back. But it's uh, right now, Addy is on a, the biggest role ever. Yeah. But uh, I, 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 you mentioned, like, is our musical artist the new athletes? Like, hey, Run DMC was a while back. This is not a new thing. Mm -hmm endorsing like lifestyle people that's always been the key mm -hmm. and see so important yeah and i also think Instead. that people are underestimating the kardashian factor in the gc thing in the whole it's GC the biggest thing. pr machine in the world yeah. right that whole clan they're like a billion followers like yeah. one sixth of the world is following them and yeah. i was showing my friend's father who's asked me about instagram and i showed him obama's instagram and then kim kardashian's and he was like what yeah, exactly. <laughs> he has 20 times she has 20 times as many followers yeah, it's, it's almost scary too like whatever they say people just jump on it yeah. um i'm not dissing the whole collection or the shoes or what like but it's the same thing with with rihanna and the puma shoes it's like wow you use it you use that leverage um but again there's not much difference from Michael Jordan being Jordan endorsing a shoe, saying, hey, I'm better than everybody else because of this shoe. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a little bit yeah, the same gotta thing. Be yeah, well, even, yeah, just hip-hop in general has always been about bravado and look at me. So it's like, yeah, I think yeah. Kanye's doing really nothing different. He's just really harnessing it and making a... I mean, know. if you go a few years back, look at the the JC thing with the S-Dot. Yep. You know, he was always wearing superstars or air force ones all of a sudden he's doing a reebok yeah like what he was even wearing those shoes while the reebok was out like he yeah, had a contract yeah. that he didn't have to wear him he just yeah. made them yeah but it was uh i mean reebok did maybe not the best shoes in the world back then but it was still you know something different yeah well they were trying with that and then the ice cream yeah. stuff but i know there was issues. ice cream was the first shoe that we actually had a proper line outside our really? store yeah. the first science spoon drop yeah, was yeah. i think we had it for the first one but then it died off quickly there yeah. were a lot of those 200 dollars shoes too which now is nothing nobody yeah. blinks exactly, at a 200 dollars yeah. shoe but yeah then, but they i mean yeah they uh it was a cool the packaging was cool yeah even though uh, maybe not my favorite shoes in the world but they were for that time too i mean that was the height of bape and all yeah. that crazy yeah. shit so I think you kind of answered it, but I just want to ask it one more time, just a little more clearly. Just, to, but is like right now the best time ever for sneakers? I mean, and what is what is the best part about sneaker culture right now for you guys? The whole thing with you know uh, all these uh, sneaker conventions, you know, used to be one like the Dunk Exchange and and sneaker pimps back in the mm -hmm. days. Now we have every city in the world has a, a massive thing. You know, sneaker con is huge. Uh, this is a, a fantastic culture. I went to the to the thing in the in Zurich, sneakerness, and people are they're bringing their moms. They're just small kids. And mm -hmm. It's like it's a it, it's a the whole thing is fantastic. I definitely think the best time is is now or even ahead of us. Like it's mm -hmm. it's finally back to a point where you're excited to go see all the new stuff. Yeah, 
just look at Adidas Parley TV shoot, like the the Parley collaboration, like that. They just oh, bring stuff to another level now. And, goosebumps and when I saw that video first time. It's you know, so like collecting there's all so the many and the great things and going on. Uh, so yeah, I definitely think that now is the best time, and I think that any people, you you don't want to be that you know grumpy guy that complains and say hey it was everything was better in the 90s and, and yeah sure like I, I listen to the music i grew up listening to my dad probably listens to the music he grew up listening yeah. to but you have to understand that like the future belongs to the kids right yeah. so to them this is now it's the best time they're more than they used to be five years ago hip-hop so. was better before though oh i agree with that <laughs> Um, so, yeah, so just one last question. So what do you see as the future? I mean, we know everything is so intertwined with the Internet now and social media. So, I mean, what, like, what, I mean, I'm sure you guys, even with product, I know you're looking a year to year and a half in the future, but just in general, other than expansion, like, if, if we know what's going to happen, everybody else your we would have bought more Ultra Boost and more NMDs last year. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I know it's an 18 month product cycle. Yeah, so it's like, like when you buy wrong, that. you buy wrong for a couple of decades or a couple of, not decades, but you buy wrong for a couple of seasons. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's a uh, uh, obviously we're looking for for a couple of new locations. Mm-hmm. Uh, more to follow on that. Cool. I think in general, I mean, uh, I think the way that people buy is is constantly changing. Has been changing dramatically for the past two or three years. I think the next three, two or three years will be even more dramatic, where where the mass market will adapt to all the tools that you can have from online combine that to all the tools that you can go to physically you know like that whole combination of direct deliveries and, and networks picking stuff up like it's going to change yeah, yeah. so much you'll probably have more i mean i'm sure you have a certain amount of technology within the stores now but you just brought that up i'm sure you have a, so many options we don't even know about coming in the future of like in-store i think I, I, to me it's like you know e-commerce has been a little bit driven by the wrong aspect in a sense for a couple of years where you try to force people to adapt into e-commerce rather than adapting e-commerce into people Mm. and now you see all these changes like you see all the ways where people uh they go to the store they they see it online they go like it's just one thing it's not separate it's they act the exact same way whether it's online or physically Mm. in store so I'm I'm very excited for the upcoming two or three years for for us, sure, but for the market as a whole too. Things going to be super exciting. Yeah, nice. I mean, uh, we've started to see stuff spring summer seventeen already, and like yeah, some yeah, and that battle when Nike bounced back, they they're not bouncing back spring seventeen, but they will eventually wake up and and bounce back. And when that battle comes to life, you know, I'm just when those guys are sitting really back and it like, out I'm, I'm so excited to see Adidas and Nike pushing it to another level. Yeah. It's going to be super, yeah. super cool. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we end this? Anything else you want to promote or bring up? Or I have one thing. I have one more thing that I want to say. <laughs> right, yeah, if we can do that. Yeah. I remember the first time we met. It's yeah. a pretty cool story. Yeah, let's, let's hear it. I think I know the story. But yeah, you know the story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, I was here with my friend Graham Wood, mm-hmm. and we uh, we were popping by all the sneaker shops because it was this blackout. Yeah. And um, you sat outside your, or you standing outside your store with a baseball bat. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Defending. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I remember you, you, you went in from Jersey to, to uh, you know, hold down the fort. Yeah, no, I came from what I came from the city, but I had my brother and dad come in at some point yeah, because, yeah. Uh, you know, the um, yeah, it was the night of the blackout. Yeah. We couldn't put the gate down, right? No. It was an electric yeah. gate, and I'm like, oh, I'll come back later. Like, yeah. who knew it was going to happen? You know, and then of course we go out. We're having beers like everybody else in the city and fall asleep. Uh, we still had a landline at that time, so the alarm company called and was like, yo, the alarm's going off at the at your shop. You got to go down there. You know, so we went down, Jen and I. And it was like the door was smashed, you know, a bunch of stuff had been stolen, but nobody was in there, thankfully, you know. So I had the baseball bat. But then we were hearing how people at A Life were getting all fucked up, smashed with bottles, and crazy shit was happening yeah. all over the city. So I was like, oh shit, it's just me and Jen and a baseball bat at the store, and it's three in the morning. 
right? And the cops came by and they didn't do shit. They were like shopping briefly, like with their flashlights and then left. So then, yeah, I called my dad and my brother after like an hour or two. And I'm like, you know, can you guys drive in and like, you know, bring some sort of like homemade weapons? That was weird. Shit, that's funny. I can't believe that's the first time we met. I'm yeah, that was the first time we met like, in person. Lord of the Flies. Well, you know, I've been I've been to your store before that, but I was mm-hmm. like, oh, when well, we really like, then talked. I realized you were a really good guy because <laughs> well, you were sitting there, you know, big heart. Thank you. Thanks. Good to see you again. Thanks for having us. This has been another episode of the Classic Kicks podcast. I'd like to thank my guests, Eric Fagerlin and Peter Jansen of Sneakers and Stuff, for joining me today, and thank all of you for listening. For more on these guys, follow them at sneakersandstuff.com. 